Spencer, and Joshua Johnson. I'm here to make you laugh, challenge your mind, and help you build a foundation. This is the Dynasty Bowl, presented by the Dynasty Football Wheel. Welcome to the Dynasty Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Joshua Johnson, and I just want to admit something right now. I often find elderly people adorable, but when they're writing checks in front of me at the grocery store, come on, step out of the 90s. Anyway, with me as always is Nick. Hail to the Redskins, Flagler. Nick, what is up, my friend? Oh, no, Josh, I'm right with you there. Uh, it's a beautiful day over here in North Idaho. <laughs> Okay. Uh, well, as I said, this is the Dynasty Pulse podcast. Uh, we'll be doing a kind of part two of our plant your flag, our wash your hands today. Uh, we also have Dynasty Dan Hines stopping by to uh, enlighten us about how we can get back. We're tackling the Ravens receiving core, talking a little Teddy Bridgewater's value, and oh, I don't know if I'm even excited about getting into the. Uh, uh, Buffalo Bills quarterback carousel. I think it needs to be addressed. And it might need to be addressed again and again as we uh, as we move closer to the season. Of course, we're going to answer the questions from the forum and the little dynasty trade analysis as well. Um, Nick's going to rant. But first, we have a little something that we like to call the dynasty dilemma, um, where we pit two people against each other. And, uh, yeah, I think it was – yeah, it was your turn to go first, Nick. Are you turn to choose? That means you go first. Don't be blaming me. This week we're doing uh, this week we're doing John Brown versus Reuben Randall. Uh, I got to choose first, so I chose uh, John Brown. Now I admit that if it's current value that you seek, go with Randall. Right now you look at their ADP. Brown is going uh, towards the end of the ninth round, while Reuben Randall is going four rounds later in the uh, at the end of the thirteenth round. They really shouldn't be separated by that much, as there's only two receivers in between them in DFW's receiver rankings. So you know why does the public prefer Brown, who's four inches shorter and had 200 fewer yards than Randall had last year? I believe it's because so much of Randall's value is tied to Victor Cruz's health. If Cruz is 100% for 16 games, Randall could be a forgotten man in New York behind Odell Beckham, Cruz, Shane Vereen. Some weeks even Larry Donald at tight end could see more work than Randall. And, yes, Brown is listed as Arizona's third receiver, but last year he was within 100 yards of Larry Fitzgerald and 150 yards of Michael Floyd. The card spread uh, Cardinals spread the ball around quite a bit. Uh, Brown last year, 48 catches, just under 700 yards as a rookie. Those are better numbers than Randall had in either of his first two years while Cruz was healthy. And remember, after P- Carson Palmer got hurt, Arizona had truly awful quarterback play, and Brown was still able to produce. With Larry Fitzgerald being 32, I could see Brown ending up the second most productive receiver in Arizona this year behind Floyd. You know, like I said, the value lies in Randall. I'm currently doing a 12-team startup. Uh, Brown went at the end of the fifth round, whereas I got Randall all the way down at the in the 12th round. I think that's a steal. 
But if you're on the clock and trying to decide between these two, it's got to be John Brown. Uh, Josh? Okay. Well, I think I'm going to use some of the same arguments um, the opposite way. Uh, Randall will line up opposite uh, Odell Beckham Jr. on the other side of the field. Uh, Victor Cruz is probably going to be a slot man. I just see him not quite being 100%. Those two guys are going to demand respect. And the growth of Larry Donnell is certainly going to help the Giants. And it's going to be make make the whole team a frustrating matchup. And Randall might even be – like he's, he might be the forgotten man. Therefore, he might be open as well. You know, Cruz is still recovering from a nasty leg injury. And at his age, you just don't know, you know, what the snap limit is going to be for him. I can see them maybe even having a limit on him per game. Um, but he's definitely more suited for the slot because I think he's a better mismatch against the nickel guy. Um, Randall, on the other hand, is going to be like the true benefactor, I believe, from that. He's not a burner, 4-5 speed. He's not a 6-5 monster. He's just a traditional Z receiver. Um, interestingly enough, some websites say that he's 6-2. Some say he's 6-4. So we'll just say that he's 6-3. Uh, he stands 6-2, weighs 210 pounds. Just very prototypical Z receiver, outside guy. Uh, given opportunities uh, with more snaps with OGB, uh, drawing a double team on the other side, I can see 800-plus yards again and eight touchdowns this season, and that could be an average for him moving forward. Uh, meanwhile, John Brown is a burner, but he might be relegated to the slot for at least the next couple seasons. So maybe maybe even longer if Michael Floyd and Larry, with Larry Fitzgerald, with Michael Floyd and Larry Fitzgerald entrenched, you know, Floyd, Floyd seems to be stuck with that organization. I don't think anybody wants to trade for him. And uh, I just don't know how much confidence Arizona would have using Brown as an outside wide receiver. Uh, Randall's a former five-star high school prospect. And as Dynasty Dan Hines explained in his Dynasty Spotlight article back in April, has has never really had a chance to display his full talent since he uh, first went to the run first LSU Tigers and he's been hindered by the depth chart since joining the Giants. Now I fully expect to see him as a starter week one, and John Brown can certainly not say that in the two, in the Cardinals' two tight end offense. Uh, Randall did receive 88% of the snaps during 2014. He ripped down 71 balls for 938 yards and three touchdowns. Those are all career highs. He's gotten better every season in the NFL, going from 300 yards to 600 yards to finally to 900 yards last year, and his 14.1 yards per catch is pretty darn sweet uh, for a three-year average there. Nick, any rebuttals? Well, I just want to say a couple more things about John Brown. He did put on 10 pounds of muscle in this offseason, and uh, the way he did that, he said last year he was eating fast food every single day. I can't imagine a wide receiver being able to be that productive eating fast food every day. He said he's completely cut that out of his diet, so I see nothing but better things from him in the future. Okay. Um, yeah, I think, you know, at his size, you've got to do everything right to keep things in line. And I have no disrespect for either one of these guys. I absolutely love John Brown, and I think if I had the opportunity to choose, I probably would have went with him too. But I played public defender and and, uh, and uh, represented my boy Randall. Um, let's maybe have to ask uh, Dan about that situation. But I, I think the overwhelming consensus is, like you said, short-term, probably Randall, long-term, Brown, definitely. If you can throw... A third, I mean, Nick, we're talking about this a few months ago or a month ago. If you could throw a third or fourth run pick at somebody for next year and get John Brown back in return on the, to help 
rebuild your receiver core, I think that's certainly the right thing to do because I think if you're trying to get Randall from somebody, they're certainly going to want a higher pick. Um, Randall, I should point out, too, is only 24 years old. He's got three seasons under the NFL, and as I like to remind everybody, that's uh, just enough experience to be dangerous. Okay, we're going to move on to a little something that we like to call Nick Rants. It's where I give my co-host the floor to uh, rant about something that's on his mind, that's bothering him. Um, and I've got some new pumped-up music for us for this one today. So uh, let's listen to music, get pumped up, and then Nick's going to give it to you. So during our draft coverage, I was sort of hard on the Vikings' decision to take uh, cornerback Trey Waynes in round one. Not because I disliked Waynes as a player, but because I thought the chance to add Teddy Bridgewater's college teammate, wide receiver Devontae Parker, was too good to pass up. Well, maybe the foot injury that caused Parker to miss seven games last year is why they passed on him. Now, word is following surgery, Miami is hoping Parker will be ready for week one. But as a rookie, without the benefit of any training camp, I think he faces an uphill battle to be an immediate contributor, especially given the depth Miami has a wide receiver now with Jarvis Landry, Kenny Stills, and the experienced Greg Jennings. So how should we dynasty owners proceed with this information? First, I'd I'd look at the roster of the team with Devontae Parker. If they look like a win-now sort of team that was counting on Parker to be a big-time contributor this year, I would try to trade for him, get him on the cheap. Offer, say, somebody like a Keenan Allen, a Deshaun Jackson, somewhere, someone in that wide receiver two to three range. You know, if the owners panic, you might get a steal. I believe Parker will have a nice career, even if his rookie year is not the greatest. His injury does mean his fellow Miami wide receivers should see a slight bump in production, with perhaps the biggest winner being Greg Jennings. I thought Jennings was unrosterable following the draft. But now if I were a Parker owner, I would try to pick Jennings up as a handcuff in case the injury lingers, or the lack of practice leaves Parker on the bench for the opening part of the season. Uh, you know, whatever you do, if you own him, don't panic. I thought there's a few people who drafted Odell Beckham last year, got worried when he missed the first part of the season, and then traded him for peanuts. Oops, don't make that mistake. Josh? Um, well, as as a Jarvis Landry owner, I'm ex- ecstatic about this news. Not because he's hurt, but I think it's going to certainly help his his value out of the gate. I mean, this guy caught a ton of balls last year with limited action in Miami, and I think he's now firmly entrenched as a, as, a, as an every-down receiver uh, and certainly a guy that they could move around. Um, he had, the, the funny thing about this injury is I, I got really sad, I think, the night before this news broke because I, I realized as my rookie drafts were winding down that I did not manage to get Kevin Coleman or Devontae Parker to my own favorite prospects in the full class in any one of my drafts. And Bill Servi even keeps stealing Kevin Coleman from me in mock drafts. Thank you very much, Bill. Uh, <laughs> I just was like, oh, God, I love these guys so much, and I want to prove that, you know, I, they're as good as I think they are, and I didn't get them. And then that news broke, and I'm like, well, you know, maybe it's not meant to be. I mean, it's, it's weird how you how the guys that you fall in love with and they, and they just don't fall to you. And uh, like I said, maybe, uh, maybe it's meant to be. I still think Parker has a very bright future. Um, and like Nick said, don't, don't panic. Even if he, even if he has a really quiet year, like a, 
I don't think he's going to be hurt all year like Marquise Lee, but if he has a quiet year like that, uh, just just hold on tight. Do not sell him for anything less than a than a first round pick because I, I I still think he's going to hold some very good value in that offense going forward. Miami is kind of in a weird situation cap wise, I think, to where they really seem to be going for either this year or next year. So they, you're gonna, they're going to want all all of their talented hands on deck. And I believe Parker was chosen to be a big part of that. I hope he takes this summer uh, very maturely and sits down and watches film and really studies the playbook and is ready to go. I mean, awful, valuable playoff, excuse me, practice time will be missed this summer. I mean, that's, that just can't be good, like Nick said. But I think uh, I think in the long run, uh, Parker is certainly just a, a nice blue-chip prospect that uh, you want to own and you want to hold on to. Dan is going to be joining us here in uh, just a couple minutes, but uh, I would like to let everybody know next week we have a 2016 prospect, Larry Butler the third, stopping by. He is a uh, middle linebacker extraordinaire from the University of Southern Nazarene, Southern Na- Nazarene University, excuse me. Um, next, the following week after that, uh, July 1st, we'll have Alan Satterley stop by. Um, I'm not going to have Nick that week, so we might probably have a couple other people on to help us out too because he is making the big move to Hawaii and uh, going to be off July 8th. And then after that, I'm gonna, we have uh, author Alex Kirby coming on on July 15th. He's written um, a couple books, one all about the Chip Kelly offense entitled Speed Kills, and there's another one all about the Auburn offense with the gets down and dirty with what they do with, with what Gus Malzone does there in Auburn. I just got the Auburn one yesterday. I haven't had a chance to dive into it too much, but he also has a new book that he's promoting right now all about the Super Bowl, a former high school and college coach, Alex Kirby. Uh, if you haven't had a chance to look at either one of those kills or the one about Auburn, they're really good stuff, really good X's and O's, just Tremendous insight. So make sure you check that out. That's coming up on July 15th. So Larry Butler next week, Alan Satterley July 1st, and July 15th, uh, Alex Kirby. And just like that, we have Mr. Dan Hines on the phone. One of the top ten greatest songs of all time, right there. Nice job. And 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 what does Bill call that? Porno music, seventies porno music. Who calls that Bill? <laughs> yeah. I'm just. Uh, he just. I just took him down a peg. Okay. <laughs> uh, How's it going, guys? Uh, good. 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 Um. Before we get started to you, uh, your big announcement, I think Nick has a small confession to make that is probably going to make you very happy there, Dan. Uh, Nick, you want to oh, tell no. him what's going on with the, what's going on with uh, you and David Johnson there, Nick? Um, sorry, I'm not sure what you're talking about. 
<laughs> I was just referencing that. Uh, Nick is current, currently owning David Johnson. Oh, David, David Lord Johnson. I'm sorry. I thought, I thought you said yeah. Dana Johnson. Yeah, yeah so in all three oh, of no. my main uh, dynasty leagues, I picked up David Johnson. So you you definitely convinced me uh, that he's going to be a star, and I hope you're right there. <laughs> well, I know uh, I just got done doing, um, well, last night, the uh, Q&A for DFW uh, Saturday article, and one of the first questions is about, Ellington and just a little tease here and uh, Duke Johnson or uh, David Johnson and basically how they're going to affect each other and what Arizona's thinking. And, you know, I'm, I feel good about it. You know, I still feel really, really good about it. Um, I don't think there's any reason to panic on either one of these guys at this point. Um, But I think when the smoke eventually clears, you know, David's going to be the one to, the own to own he just offers a different dynamic that Ellington can't and that's that in between the tackles punishing um you know running back uh, they're both outstanding receivers with uh, outstanding outside speed and athleticism and you know that I even give the edge to Johnson in that capacity as well so yeah that's good that's good I mean he's he's good value and if you're you know, if you're in the early part of your second round and you're staring at Duke Johnson and David Johnson and, you know, maybe Abdullah's still there and, you know, you can, you know, he's he's a good pick. So, cool. Well, and you mentioned uh, Duke Johnson. And the last uh, startup draft that I got David Johnson in, uh, Duke Johnson went at the early part of the sixth round and I took uh, David Johnson at the end of the seventh round. So it's not like I reached for him. Yeah. I thought I got really good value with him. Yeah, no, that's fantastic value. I mean, I'm pretty high on Duke Johnson, too. I think I have him four spots higher than any other DFW ranker on the site. But I do have David Johnson uh, three and Duke five. I know I'm bullish on David, and, you know, the three spot is probably as high as you're going to see him anywhere. Uh, But I'm sticking to it. Okay, well, I answered that same question, too, yesterday. And uh, I'm not that high. So you saw my uh, answer. Not, not, no, I actually did. I did see your answers, but I didn't read them. I already, I already had mine written when I went to put them in there. So I like okay. to read a lot of Sunday Nick, or when it comes up. I did not read yours. Yeah, no, it's I a fun read. read. Oh. I agree. It's oh, yeah. one of the articles I look yeah. forward to every week, actually. You know, it, it might sound a little bit conceited, but I almost uh, – I enjoy it now that I'm a part of it. I, I, I don't know if that makes any sense. But <laughs> I, not, not, you know, now that I've had, now that I've got to like be a part of it for a few weeks in a row, and I, and now it, it just makes a little more sense to me. Not, 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 and then and I'm not saying I enjoy reading my answers. I enjoy reading everybody else's because I've, I I enjoy I've, reading I've, your I've answers, Josh. Yeah. Yeah, uh, you had you had a nice dynamic to the writing. I I really like your writing sure. style. Actually, it's a uh, it's a little more entertainment and a little more playful. And um, I personally get a kick out of your answers. And it's not like it's void of you know educated information or or analysis. It's all in there too. But uh, you add just a different dynamic to that, and it's uh it's a nice uh, it's a nice addition. And once again, giving giving props to Jeff Katz, who's uh, normally in charge of that article every week. It's a good, good thing. And basically, what I what I like about it so much is when I go down and sit to read it when it's published on Saturdays, 
I've already had the chance to answer those questions. So I know what the questions are going to be, and I'm just so excited to read everybody else. Not necessarily yeah. next to mine. I'm just excited because I've already know I already know what I said. So I want to see what somebody else said. Maybe that's why I like them. Absolutely. But anyway, Absolutely. you have a very special announcement for us, Dan. Yeah, I do. Um, this uh, probably won't surprise many listeners, but uh, as we're building our listener base, um, this announcement is about our fantasy football charity tournament, our second annual one at DFW. Um, this was very impromptu last year. It was an original idea brought to us by a great member of ours, Jason Teasley, who has a podcast of his own called The Cheap Seats. Um, and he's he's a regular at DFW, avid supporter, and originally he had had uh, uh, Hunter Gandy um, on his podcast. Uh, it was probably late. It was late. It was like in late July. And uh, Hunter is, uh, you may know the name, he's the brother of Braden Gandy, who is a younger, a younger brother with cerebral palsy. And Hunter took like a 40-mile walk with Braden on his back from, oh, geez, like Lions Stadium to Wolverine Stadium. It's like from one stadium to one stadium in Michigan. And it was, uh, you know, it's gotten a lot of press, and they're raising money and awareness for cerebral palsy. And, um, you know, Jason basically just got the idea that, you know, we should uh, we should do a charity tournament here, you know, or we should do a league for Hunter and support him and Braden. And, you know, of course, me – I, well, not only did I love the idea, but I said, well, let's not stop there. Let's see what kind of interest we can garner across the board in terms of expanding this and seeing how much positive, you know, impact we can actually have. And so in a very short amount of time, I know, Josh, you were, you know, involved in this tournament last year. Um you know, we, we did some brainstorming and uh, tried to come up with a really, really low-impact charity league. Um, and by low-impact, I mean, number one, low-impact on your wallet. Um, now that's not to make it sound negative, um, but, you know, times aren't great for everybody. And, you know, a lot of people in the Dynasty community have a ton of leagues. Um, by a ton, I mean anywhere from 5 to 35 leagues and there are monetary investments tied up in that um, even more so than monetary investments are the time investments involved in you know developing your team and building your team and getting waiver wires every week and getting your lineup set and you know so we were thinking let's make this very simple let's make this very affordable let's make this something that a lot of people can get involved with and we have some really cool twists and turns this year as we actually have a little time to prepare. So backing up, we were able to get 72 teams last year in about three or four weeks' notice, and we managed to get them all drafted somehow. Um, we raised just under $2,000. Every last penny, 100%, went to charity. We wrote over $1,200 checks to Cerebral Palsy Awareness to the ARC Foundation. Uh, we sent... Uh, we are sending, in the process of sending $300 to Braden uh, and Hunter's uh, playground project out in Michigan. Um, and uh, we also sent 300 to uh, SIDS awareness, sudden infant death, death syndrome, uh, which was a division that our co-owner, Jay Myers, sponsored. 
Um, he unfortunately lost a son to SIDS um, probably about a decade ago now. Um, maybe not that long. Yeah, that's about right. Um, so, uh, you know, it was amazing. And so basically what we do is we set up a, a draft master. Most of you guys are familiar with draft masters, but for those that aren't, this is a real simple league. You draft your team and you walk away. That's it. Um, the computer-generated software will automatically pick your best scoring based on our starting requirements, and it is a total points league. The most points wins. Uh, we have prizes and pay uh, well, not payouts, but we have prizes from memberships to free MFL 10s and free MFL 25s and DFW memberships and Football Guys memberships, and we're in the process of getting our first custom-made trophy for the 2014 winner. Um, we're also uh, doing some, we're trying to reach out and get some cool like NFL gear too. Um, so basically we're just starting to ramp this up. Uh, it's 25 bucks. That's it. It's literally anybody can get in this league. Um, the view, one of the really nice twists on the tournament, which we did last year and we're going to continue this year is that if you are able to bring an entire conference or division, however you want to describe it, we're defining it as 12 teams, because that's basically how the entire tournament is set up. Um, if you can bring 12 total teams, that's $300 raised, we will organize it, we will run it, we will commission it, we will, take all, we will handle the funds, we will do all the dirty work for you, but two things happen. Number one, you get to pick whatever charity you play for, as long as it's accredited. We're in the process of setting up some things with Wounded Warrior Project um, and St. Jude as well, uh, a couple uh, that we expect to have pretty significant turnouts for. Um, but the other really cool thing is if you are the sponsor of your own conference, so let's say, Josh, this year you say, I'm going to go get 11 other guys to play. It's got to be 11 people that can pitch in 25 bucks and draft a team over the course of a day or two. Your entry fee is essentially going to be paid for or reimbursed um, in the form of a free gold DFW membership, which is a $25, well, it's actually a $30 value if you include the rookie guide in there. Um, someone like yourself who always already has one now has a gift to give to someone else in that league. Um, so we're basically – we're basically covering the cost value-wise of your entry fee for your efforts to bring in 11 more people. And that's really what I'm challenging. That's this first wave of announcements. I had 72 people, ourselves included, Josh, last year. And my challenge, which is going to go out via email by this weekend, is for every single person that was in it last year individually to go get 11 more people and bring their own division and conference to this you know, to this tournament. And let's see if we can't absolutely blow this thing out of the water and be writing tens and $20,000 checks out to charity. Um, the slogan that we've adopted for this tournament is our fantasy can change their reality. And that's what we're going with. Um, we got the new site up. It's all ready. Carl Zabo uh, gave us a nice, real basic, um, cool new site design. And nothing's really changing in terms of layouts. Uh, like I said, I'll be emailing out um, to the first 72 teams here. And then the challenge is for you guys to recruit. 
That's what the, is really going to grow this thing. And um, so, yeah, that's that's what I'm here to announce. It's exciting. It's the second annual Fantasy Football Charity Championships, the FFCC. Uh, hopefully, if we can get big enough, we can start putting some pressure on, you know, some celebrities and some athletes. I know Teasley was harassing Kevin White, and Ron, he was randomly tweeting out celebrities last night. Uh, Ronda Rousey and um, I think uh, Ed Sheehan, the singer. Um, you know, I'm not exactly sure um, what his, <laughs> his selection process was, but it's like, hey, whatever. You know, I'm sponsoring uh, 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 Kevin Williams' um, – uh, football camp at St. Thomas University with one of my subways, and I do it every year. And it was like, well, you know, Kevin Williams, probably an all-pro, possibly Hall of Fame defensive tackle for the Vikings most of his life, um, but uh, not exactly a huge, you know, huge uh, name or exciting name necessarily for fantasy sports. But on the flip side, it's like, hey, he's right here. You know, can I get an autographed football? Maybe we can toss that into the prize pool, do some random drawings and giveaways and stuff like that, too. So so if you are interested in the tournament at all, you can info us at or email us at info at dynastyfootballwarehouse.com. You can email me personally at djhines, H-E-I-N-S, at gmail.com. Um, I would encourage you, you know, we will sign up individuals. You'll get put into basically slots, and we'll fill and pick those charities. Uh, You will not be able to pick your own charity. But if you know anybody's individual cause or anything that affects you personally and you want to have fun with 11 of your other of your friends, just something to brag, something that's low impact, no real significant financial impact on any one person, but together making a huge financial impact for somebody, I just don't see this, you know, I don't see any way you can pass this up. And so, you know, take the time, write down this information. Don't say I'll get to it. You know, don't blow it off. It's 25 bucks and it's fun and it's fantasy football and it's competition and it's a dynasty football warehouse and it's all good. And it's hundred percent. All our efforts, Jason and I are busting our butt, making sure that every penny of this goes to charity. So help support us. We appreciate it. And I'll probably be on more and more to talk about it as we ramp it up. Yeah, and like I like I said last week on the show here, it's it can be as easily as summed up as just saying all the – all you have to do is pay 25 bucks and do something you're going to do anyway and <laughs> draft a team. Yep. And it's something, yep. something that you love and it's, it's 25 bucks and it's, it's, it's going to a good cause. You're, and you're doing that by just doing something, like I said, you're going to do anyway and something that you love to do. And it, it, it's going to be fun. And what, what, what a better way to give back and, and how, I mean, it just really couldn't be easier basically is what I'm trying to say. Then exactly. yeah, you get back to to a great cause. No matter no matter where it's going, just know that the money's going somewhere good. And it's such a such a great idea. And yeah, I mean, it, if you spend who knows what we thirty minutes, yeah, it, if you spend twenty minutes on Facebook tonight, just putting together fifteen people and PMing them with a league link, uh, which I can give you no problem, and I will be in the email to all. 72 of last year's teams, um, I guarantee you you can come up with a team, you know, with minimal effort. 
Um, and then literally your organizational part, if you're actually, you know, if you are thinking about doing a division or conference, I need 12 names and 12 emails. That's it. I will take care of the rest, collecting funds, paying out funds. That's it. That's as hard as it is, is 12 names, 12 emails. Done deal. Nick, do you have any questions about that? Um, no, it, it is a, a redraft type of format, correct? Not a dynasty format? Yeah, correct, correct. Yep. And there's no defense, there's no kickers. We take those elements out of it. Um, so I believe it's a 20-round draft. We flex two, which means you can start up to five wide receivers, up to four running backs. Uh, it's not a QB, um, it's not a super flex, so only one quarterback, up to three tight ends. Adds a different element. Uh, but basically, you are you're stuffing your roster. I mean, it really they call them draft masters for a reason uh, because there's so much anticipation involved. Since there is no waivers, there are no trading, there is no nothing. It's set it and forget it. That you know, arguably the person who is either you know, there's obviously a fair degree of luck here. Um, but if you have enough foresight to anticipate more injury prone players or um, are handcuffing the right people or taking the right flyers or stuffing your, you know, your team with more wide receivers and running backs, if that's your strategy. Uh, there's a lot of different fun ways to go. Um, but you don't have to concern yourself about team defenses or kickers or anything like that. Just skill position, offensive players, 20 rounds, takes a day, maybe two, and you're done. And then you get weekly updates. And you get to see your standings, and you can, you know, you get conference standings. So if you bring your own, you know, division, you get to brag and, you know, still have that fun, competitive environment with your friends because you're still doing better than, you know, this guy over here or this girl over here. Um, and uh, we are opening up, I should mention this for anyone who may be listening, we are opening up sponsorship opportunities for the tournament as well. And so what we're doing with that is if you bring three or more teams to or conferences to the tournament, meaning if you actually recruit, this would be more for like a site or an organization or a company or anything like that. So let's say your work wants to put together, wants to get involved in this, and they put together 36 teams, you know, we will allow, we're going to do free sponsorships on the site. So we're keeping the site pretty clean any uh, promotional material that goes out will have your company's name or site's name affiliated with this amazing cause as well. Okay. It couldn't be any simpler just to, just to get back, like I said. So. You got um, it. Did you, so. to, did you happen to hear our Dynasty Dilemma earlier, Dan? No, have but you, I was going to ask. Ruben Randall versus John oh, Randall. man, that's a, that's a good one. Um, who, who's with who? Uh, Nick did John Ooh, Brown, and I did Ruben Randall. Okay. Um, well, you know I've been tooting Ruben's horn basically all off season. I mean, all this guy has ever done since his first year in LSU is get better and better and better and stay healthy the entire time, never misses a game, never gets hurt. Um, he thrived in this converted West Coast offense last year. He's had to deal with a couple – you know, a couple new, a couple coordinators, um, but he really did have quite an excellent year last year. 
Um, with Cruz coming back from the knee, although I do think Cruz will be back at some point this year, you know, Ruben is still their chain mover. He's still their big target. Um, a little concerned about his lack of end zone, you know, red zone production last year. Uh, but I think that's just a minor concern. Uh, I think quarterback situation is about even. Uh, John Brown is getting a ton of love in Arizona right now. I think he's the better pure receiver of the two. Uh, I think he needs far less development than Ruben's needed. And I think John Brown has a lot less to go through than Ruben does in terms of Odell Beckham and, and Victor Cruz. Um, even a, a gimped up Victor Cruz, I think is going to be tougher to get through than say an aging Larry Fitzgerald or a, you know, a, a struggling um, Michael Floyd. So, I mean, for me, that's really what the, it came down to as I was deciding on my vote. And uh, I've been kind of snaking John Brown here or there in deals. I know I got him as part of moving Mike Evans in DFW 48 along with Kevin White and a couple other. I mean, I made out like a banshee. I think I got Matt Forte in that deal too. I uh, didn't want to move Mike Evans, but but uh, but John Brown actually was one of the things that kicked it over the top for me. You know, he's probably my wide receiver five or six. But, um, you know, the hype can't be denied down there right now. And when you got your quarterback coming out saying, you know, this guy, this is my guy, he's going to take a huge leap. I love what I'm seeing. Um, I like Randall a lot. I think ultimately their production will be better. But if I'm talking dynasty, I'm leaning to uh, John Brown on this one. So I got to go with Nick. Yeah, and, I, you know, I don't want to say John Brown's the next Antonio Brown, but if he yeah. has production in that realm two years from now, I right. don't think anybody's going to be surprised. So, yeah. Yeah, so. yeah, and I think that's, that's, that's the type of receiver we're talking about, you know, with John Brown is that type of receiver, same type of receiver that I've been heralding up in Seattle with Tyler Lockett, same type of receiver that just gets open. You know, they're just that good. Mm. Um, so, you know, we'll see. Ruben Randall still has some separation issues, but he's getting better and better and better. This is his second year in it. It's his fourth year in the NFL. Never missed a game. I think he's set up to have a really, really good year. I think he's being drafted like as the 70th wide receiver off the board right now, which is just crazy. Dude was 30th last year, and I foresee him to improve on those numbers. I think he was just under 1,000 yards just over 70 receptions, bump that up 10, 15 receptions, bump that up 1,500 yards, and probably four or five extra. You're looking at a strong, strong wide receiver, low-end wide receiver, too, you know, this year. Um, And, you know, I don't know if they'll end up keeping him or not. they got a lot of questions next year. But uh, I think that's another reason why. I get a little concerned with Ruben Randall is because he's shown his learning curve is just a little slower than others, but it is there and he gets better every year. Um, he's just not picking up as quick as some of the other people. So he might be one of those that always kind of wallows around, you know, best case scenario, wide receiver three type numbers. So, but super underappreciated. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dan, and I'm sure we'll be uh, pimping that uh, charity tournament the closer we get to uh, get things going there, and then we need to fill some fill some divisions out. So thank you for stopping by, and uh, we'll keep in touch. Thanks, guys. Have a great rest of your show.
Thanks, bud. Okay, let's move on to plant your flag or wash your hands. Um, Nick, why don't uh, I'll go ahead and start by throwing Danny Amendola your way. What do you got for it? Well, you know, I, I think tentatively I'm going to plant my flag there. You know, not as a starter, of course. He only had 200 yards last season. But he did score two touchdowns in a playoff game versus Baltimore. Right now, Brandon LaFell's in a walking boot. You know, if he were to miss time, Amendola, who actually was healthy for all 16 games last year, I think Amendola would be a decent bye week plug if there was injuries ahead of him in the receiving core. And, you know, with Tom Brady, a quarterback after the suspension, you could do a lot worse, I think, than Danny, Danny Amendola. Yeah, you look at it, I mean, I think Amendola and Edelman are kind of the same type of player. Amendola's obviously got maybe a few years under his belt, but uh, really after <laughs> those two in the fell, I mean, nobody that you would want to even think about planting your flag or maybe even throwing a dart at in that in that scheme. I know Brady makes some, some players better, but after, after Amendola, it's, it's pretty murky waters there in uh, New England. What, what do you got for me, Nick? Uh, first off, I want to ask you about Jason Hatcher, the defensive lineman in Washington. What do you think about him? Uh, okay, let's see here. Jason Hatcher. This one's really close, but it might be a case of a player being more more important to his team than he would be to being an IDP contributor. We 33 in July. Washington still owes him a chunk of change, so he's probably going to be on the field. Um, and maybe, just maybe, the scrappy pieces that Washington has added um, will help will help him gain some free space along that line this year. Um, but for him to pursue double-digit sacks, I think that would be very, very far-fetched. And, and I would not, would not bank on that whatsoever. So I am washing my hands of Jason Hatcher. Um, what do you got for us on Trent Richardson? Well, heading into the offseason, I was so ready to wash my hands on T. Rich until he wound up in Oakland. You know, assuming Roy Hillou is just going to be the passing down back there, that means the only running back ahead of Trent Richardson on the depth chart is Latavius Murray, who only has 82 career carries. The potential is there, yes, for Murray, but he's so unproven, you know. We we know that Richardson's never going to be a stud, never going to live up to that third overall draft choice that he was. But he could end up starting at some point this year if Murray struggles or gets hurt. So, you know, as cheap as you can get him right now, I'm going to actually plant my flag on T. Rich. Uh, very very good points on uh, the value there. What do, you, what do you got for me there? Uh, next up, uh, the former defensive lineman, now turned linebacker in Chicago, Jared Allen. What do you think about him? Oh, Jared Allen is now listed as a linebacker. That is easily one of the most hilarious things I've heard this offseason. It just seems so weird to even think of that. Um, I am washing my hands. There is no way he can compete IDP-wise as a linebacker. I mean, he's not going to make – I mean, what is he going to – is he going to make 40 tackles? I don't even think that's even possible. Um, You know – Sack heavy leagues, he's not even going to have eight sacks. I'd be surprised if he surpassed that. I just don't know really what else to say. I mean, he'll probably, he'll probably struggle to even get to the thirty tackle mark. I mean, I don't, and I don't think 
I'm going to go out on the limb. Like I said earlier, if he's, there's no way this guy has double-digit sex left in his tank. At his age, I just, you just got to wash your hands. Um, yeah. Josh? Go ahead. Do you have something to add there to Jared Ellis? Uh, yeah, just that I agree with you completely. Uh, the switch to linebacker, you know, uh, I'd be surprised if he even lasts uh, into next season, into 2016. He's just not a good fit there, linebacker, I don't think. Okay, some definitely some mixed emotions on this next guy. I read in, just saw a headline of an article. I shouldn't say I read it about Josh Huff possibly being more involved in this offense than you think. Um, talked to our buddy Mark T. Wilson a couple months ago, and he said, "Ah, uh-uh, this guy is terrible. We're not. He's not sticking around." Uh, so definitely some various various opinions on Mr. Josh Huff in Philadelphia. Nick, what do you got for us? Well, Josh Huff, he's a tough kid. He's a great blocker, which is why Chip Kelly likes him so much. But he's probably going to be the wide receiver four in Philadelphia as far as targets are concerned behind uh, the rookie Aguilar and uh, Jordan Matthews and probably Riley Cooper as well. So, you know, I'd take him over the newly signed veterans, Miles Austin or Ajiro Tutu, but I think I'm washing my hands on Josh Huff. He had under 100 yards as a rookie last year. So, yeah, he'll probably improve on 100 yards, but I think i still got to wash my hands. It is a tough call, though. Yeah, especially as dynasty owners, to wash your hands on a on a second year receiver, it, it, it's not very easy. But you gotta, you know, you gotta go with with uh, your head and not your heart on that one. And uh, applaud you for not uh, not 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 going with your heart as these is is a former duck there. So, uh, um, what do you got for me? Uh, next up, we got Charles Woodson, the safety out there in Oakland. Okay. Excuse me if I sound like a 16-year-old girl here, but OMG, plant your flag. I mean, this guy, he's still an elite IDP player. He's still an elite talent. IDP-wise, he's worthy, worthy, worthy. I mean, you can get him super deep in startups. If you own him already, why would you get rid of him unless somebody's offering, like, high picks for him? Still a ma- still a master of his craft, lead-by-example type of player. He's Finished in so many plays. Uh, the addition of Curtis Lawson and the maturing of Theo Moore and Khalil Mack that's going to certainly might think it might think it will hurt his numbers. I don't think it's going to hurt his numbers at all. I think it's going to open things up for those linebackers to blitz the quarterback because they know they have somebody behind them that can finish. I think his numbers stay just about the same. Um, they're going to be firing, like I said, those linebacker missiles right off the gut because. Woodson has their backs, and he can finish any play. Gotta plant your flag on this guy. Why would you get rid of him? Why would you get rid of him? I mean, he's he just doesn't want to stop playing, and he gets the job done. So plant your flag. Um, Kevin Minter, Nick, what do you got for it? Well, let's look at his situation so far in the NFL. As a rookie, he was behind Carlos Dansby, who's no longer there, and behind Darrell Washington, who's suspended right now on the depth chart. Then last year, he tore a pectoral muscle in preseason, but played through the injury where a lot of people would have just had surgery and missed the year. Uh, So he has under 50 career tackles, so that's pretty disappointing for a second-round pick. But I'm tentatively buying the former second-rounder from LSU, if only because he can get him so cheap. Right now, he's ranked uh, DFW's number 75 linebacker. 
So, you know, he's a guy that you definitely want to keep an eye on in training camp, and if he loses the starting job, then definitely wash your hands. Don't give him another chance. But for right now, I guess I would probably plant my flag on. Yeah, again, like you said, very intriguing value. More than likely, he's going to have a chance to start. And, you know, he could be, you know, this year's, you know, Daniel Anasana, a guy that just, just surprises the heck out of everybody. Um, you know, Josh Malga or whatever his name is in Kansas City came through. Didn't Even though he didn't seem like he played very good, it seemed lost a little bit there in Kansas City last year, he still made a ton of tackles and was a decent IDP contributor. Um, Minter, you know, people could be challenging this guy because he's his first year as a starter there. He's an inside linebacker, so you, it's really hard to just wash your hands of an inside linebacker because the talent – the ta- or excuse me, the tackle availability is just going to be there for us. I, I think I'd plant my flag on this guy, too, and uh, I pray he comes out of the training camp with a starting job. Uh, what do you got for me next, Dan? Uh, Michael Johnson, defensive end. He was a huge free agent bust uh, in Tampa Bay last year, but now he's returned to Cincinnati. What do you think about him? Okay, well, Michael Johnson could feel comfortable being back in Cincy. Um, but Wallace Gilberry might be stiff competitions, and I know they're both older players. Uh, but also Carlos Dunlap on the other side is a menace, uh, and that might be problematic for Johnson. He might just be, need to be a space filler, so guys like Paul Dawson, Vincent Ray, and Emmanuel Lamar can be the finishers. Um, Johnson has one season in his career of double-digit sacks. And in a different scheme last year in Tampa, he just looked completely lost. Just not feeling it. Sorry, Mr. Johnson. I am washing my hands. Um, What do we got? Oh, yes. Any other Redskins wide receiver other than Pierre Garçon or Deshaun Jackson? Maybe Andre Roberts, I guess. You know, last year he had 450 yards and two touchdowns. He was actually signed to be a starting receiver until the Redskins later on in free agency got Deshaun Jackson. Uh, you look at some of the other guys they have there. Ryan Grant was apparently the only rookie wide receiver in the NFL last year not to have a big season. He only caught seven balls for 68 yards. Uh, the rookie, Jamison Crowder, he's only five foot eight, so he's going to battle out Roberts for the slot position. If he wins the job, he could be okay in best ball leagues, but he, he, he's just five foot eight. That's too st- small to start on the outside if injuries were to strike uh, Garcon or Deshaun Jackson. So I think Roberts probably has the higher ceiling, in my opinion. I, I'd really prefer not to have any of these guys, though. Uh, yeah, and like I said, I think a couple of weeks ago, the tallest wide receiver on the Redskins roster is six foot one, and I think Grant is the only guy that you mentioned. That's even six foot. I think all the other guys are five ten, five eight. So uh, they don't believe in big players in Washington, at least on the offensive side of the ball. Um, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a tough call. I, I like what I saw on film of Grant as a prospect coming out of Tulane, um, but uh, and, and who knows what a you know two full off seasons can do to a guy. But uh, yeah, not a not an easy situation to look at there. Are you feeling very confident about the guys on top there with Garcon and Jackson? Yeah, I think they'll be decent. I think uh, I think their ADP right now is probably about where they deserve to go. I think Garcon could be in for a little bit better year than he had last year, though. He's not going to lead the league in receptions again like he did two years ago, but he'll be better than he was last year, I believe. 
Yeah, he had a couple weeks last year where he just kind of disappeared and then a couple of really solid weeks. So, yeah, maybe hopefully a little bit more consistent production there for Garcon. Uh, last one, what do you got for me? Uh, Coney Ely, the second-year defensive end in Carolina. Okay. Ely is a byproduct of va- of valuable experience gained. Um, I think he's ready to rack. And he, and key, he's a key guy to find in startups because his value is super low because he did so little as a rookie. That's just one key that you can think about in your startups altogether. You know, these startup drafts, people are all, are all about taking rookies because they believe in them. But let's don't don't forget about those rookies that were really quiet the year before, because their value is certainly going to be low. People are going to always jump on the rookie first, and some of these positions just take a little bit more time to break through. Now Ely's got Greg Hardy out of the way. Uh, Charles Johnson is also still there, but I think Ely certainly has the chance to overcome. Um, you know, another another second year guy that didn't do a whole lot until the last. Part later part of the season was Timmy Jernigan, another perfect example of a guy that you can get very late. Uh, Ely is not going to replace Greg Hardy's production immediately, but he certainly has the opportunity ahead of him. Um, even if he even if he looks pedestrian for a season, he will make adjustments with repetitive reps. Um, and I drafted Tony Ely in our in our 16 team league because Sean Kirby told me to take him over Jared Crick, who apparently is dead. He's <laughs> and. Uh, Timmy Jernigan, can you believe Jerry Crick is still out there and around? The guy had 152 points out of a defensive end position last year. Place opposite J.J. Watt. How is Jerry Crick still available? But anyway, Dr. Kirby told me to take him over Jernigan and Crick, so I went going to Ely because, well, I trust Mr. Kirby's advice. <laughs> um, any thoughts there, Mr. Ely? Yeah, well, the thing to remember is that young pass rushers typically take one, two, three years to develop. So, yeah, I, I think the future can still be bright, even though he was very, very quiet as a rookie. Yeah. Um, you know, another guy that could probably be had in the very, very last round, no matter how many rounds you drafted, is Scott Crichton in Minnesota. I don't know what his role is moving forward, uh, but there's certainly some very nice pieces around him. So uh, don't uh, – don't sleep on that guy. I think he could. He's going to be there last round your draft. I can almost guarantee it because he had something like seven fantasy points last year. So maybe a situational pass rusher, but a guy that certainly gained some experience last year. So, um, and speaking of Dr. Kirby, if you did not have a chance to read his breakdown of three four defensive ends versus four three defensive ends, right defensive ends versus left defensive ends, article that came out yesterday. Holy cow! I think I broke my keyboard drooling over it because it was <laughs> such a great read. And uh, it, it makes a whole lot of sense. Remember, J.J. Watt is the exception to the rule. Not too many people can do what he does. And uh, he, he, Sean told me after that, he, he wrote that article that he is now on the Grandy Gregory train as opposed to the Eric Armstead train. So, you know, he tells me this after me and you drafted him in various leagues, Armstead being. So uh, hopefully hopefully Armstead can still come through and hopefully break the mold. But uh, what an amazing article. And we've been cranking articles up so often this month. Just such great, knowledgeable stuff from our staff. So keep tuned. Uh, get that email subscription and you can get uh, stuff emailed to you about what we did every day so you can go through and piece through that. It's uh, great. 
great stuff. Um, let's get to some dynasty trade analysis. Nick here. Um, I love this team name, the Schmidt Storm. Uh, Isaiah Crowell, Larry Fitzgerald, and the 2016 first-round pick for Christian Michael, Telvin Smith, and a 2016 third-round pick. What are your thoughts there? Well, I understand why you do it. You know, Telvin Smith has a lot outside there at linebacker. He's probably going to be a top 12 type of player there at linebacker. But it's such a deep position that I have a hard time giving up the first-round pick to make that deal. You know, I, I understand why he did it, but I, I personally wouldn't have myself. Yeah, and it's – I'm just not sold on anybody behind Marshawn Lynch that they're going to be – the man after he's gone, and I and I and obviously Christian Michael's involved in this deal, and I just I just don't see it. I just I don't see it. So I think Isaiah Crowell could certainly have a, a valuable year contributing, you know, maybe as an RB two, RB three, depending on your format. And uh, Larry Fitzgerald, I think he's still got a couple of good years production. I know he's been dinged up the last couple of years, but uh, you know, just when you want to forget about Larry Fitzgerald if he comes through and has has a big game or has a big season. So I, w- I never want to count that guy out. I got no problem taking him as like a third wide receiver in a starter draft right now. Not None whatsoever because even if it's a dynasty league, I know I'm going to get a couple of years of production, solid production out of a, a veteran and easily one of the best wide receivers that we've seen in the last 20 years. Um, moving on, another first-round pick being thrown around. Actually, two first-round picks for Justin Hunter and a first-round pick and a second-round pick. What are your thoughts there? Well, so basically he's uh, moving down from the first to the second round and then swapping two other first-round picks to pick up Justin Hunter. I, I, I'm i selling that move. I just don't like – I'm not high on Justin Hunter at all. I wouldn't even be surprised if he doesn't make the final roster in Tennessee. Uh, I, I would not have moved out of the first round to pick him up. Yeah, yeah. I don't need to play the Justin Hunter clip again. I feel like Bill's egging us on just to do it. But, yeah, why would you trade anything for Justin Hunter, even if you're moving down one spot in a round? I just, Somebody sees what we don't see, apparently. Um, final one, beginning the DFW 48 year around 2016 round, two pick, two, excuse me, two 2016 second round picks for Dante Monk. What what do you think, Ben? I think that's pretty even trade uh, all around, all across the board. I mean, two second round picks for a guy who's going to be catching passes from Andrew Luck, and I know it's a very deep depth chart there in uh, Indianapolis at receiver, but Andre Johnson's probably only going to be there for a year or two. T.Y. Hilton's contract is coming up, so there's a chance that Moncrief could end up being a starter in 2016, 2017. I mean, he's not guaranteed, obviously, but you know. For the for the for the chance to be have a starting receiver playing with Andrew Luck, I'd give up two second rounders. I don't know if I would. I, and it's hard for me because besides my startup leagues right now, I, most my other my other couple dynasty leagues, I'm really trying to rebuild. So it's hard to give up picks, even though you're getting a young receiver, and that's you know you're giving up two picks next year. For a guy that could potentially be a, a you know a wide receiver two, probably the year after that. So I, I, it's it's a hard call. You know, obviously 
if you like somebody, you like somebody. I, I don't know. Two picks seems high for a guy that only has only has one year under his belt, but you're certainly uh, you're hoping that he can improve on that. Uh, it's not like you know he exploded, uh, but uh, if you you got to do what you got to do to get the players you want, and and I and I can't fault anybody for doing that. So. Okay, moving on to the Baltimore Ravens situation here, Nick. Look, look at these wide receivers. They brought in a lot of wide receivers, and let's not forget Max Williams camp as well. Uh, Darren Waller, DeAndre Carter, those are the two rookies. DeAndre was an undrafted guy that Steve Smith likes a whole hell of a lot because he reminds him of himself. Um, oh, and another rookie here by the name of Brashard Perryman, who they took in the first round. I, I almost forgot to put Perryman on this list, but I was like, oh, yeah, there's one more guy here. Uh, oh, yeah, Perryman. I don't know how I forgot him. But I'm really interested to see how Waller and Carter get moved in there. Marlon Brown, Steve Smith, and uh, Michael Campanero. Uh, don't know what uh, Campanero has for this team left. Same with Marlon Brown. Obviously, if they were settled on those two guys, they probably wouldn't have drafted three wide receivers. What do you, What are your thoughts there, Nick? Well, of course, the most valuable in dynasty formats is the rookie first rounder, Brashad Perriman. He's big, strong, and fast. Six foot two, four two four forty. Averaged nineteen and a half yards per catch in college, but he's raw. So there's a chance he may not have a huge impact this year, especially since you look at Torrey Smith, uh, Baltimore's number two receiver last year, had under fifty catches. So for this year, Steve Smith is the guy that you want to start. Last year, uh, seventy nine catches for a thousand sixty five yards and six scores. But at age thirty six uh, this year, there is a risk of age catching up to him, as it looked like it did in 2013 when he had under 750 yards. Uh, Marlon Brown was a popular sleeper last year following a 500-yard, seven-touchdown season in 2013, but then last year he fell to 250 yards and zero scores. Uh, Right now, I think he'd still be my guess as far as the wide receiver number three. He's six foot five, so if Perriman isn't ready right away, he could even start. After those three, it's tough for me to really roster any of these guys in dynasty leagues. Uh, you look at Kamar Aiken, six foot two, good special teamer, uh, twenty-four receptions for two hundred sixty yards and three scores last year. He's going to try to beat out Marlon Brown for playing time. Then you have the five foot nine Michael Campanero. I think he's considered the favorite for kick return duties, uh, but he only had seven catches last year. Then you mentioned the sixth rounder Darren Walker or Darren Waller. Sorry. Uh, six foot six, two hundred forty, and ran a four four six forty. But he's probably too raw to contribute this year. But he might be worth a flyer as a final wide receiver on your depth chart in the dynasty team if you have room. And then DeAndre Carter, uh, the five foot ten, one hundred eighty five pound uh, undrafted rookie, probably is going to have to beat out Michael Campanero for a roster spot. I would guess. I don't know. What do you think, Josh? <sighs> I forgot Kamar Aiken. I knew I forgot somebody. Um, I. It's a hard call on on Brown. Last year, end of our startup, Nick, offensive only league. I was like, gosh, I could take a rookie like Devin Street or an Allen Robinson. Yes, Allen Robinson. <laughs> or I could take Marlon Brown, who I think just maybe if I get a whole bunch of injuries, he's going to at least contribute this year. So ultimately, I took Marlon Brown and not Allen Robinson. Ugh. But uh, in the last round. And uh, I've currently washed my hands with Marlon Brown. I just don't and – I, and I picked up Waller to fill that void. So I, I think Waller has the capability to come through. There's some talk about 
maybe him playing a little bit of tight end, like a third tight end, and, and possibly inside the red zone goal line situations, and a guy that quick with that much size in the red zone. Oh, I love that. I love it. Um, but uh, Marlon Brown, I, you know, I guess if you if you're gonna own him, it's best ball is the way to own him. I don't know, you know, especially in a in a 12 team league, he's not worth owning. 16 team maybe. Um, all these guys are probably owning in a 16 team league, but uh, maybe besides Campanero, um, DeAndre Carter is very intriguing, and uh, he's in, turned some heads in OTAs. So I, you know, if you want to take a chance on him last round, you're your rookie draft, I would not uh, would not fault you. I think Perryman is gonna. I think Perryman's gonna be a little bit more productive this year than people think think he can be, because he's got such a, a superior talent at quarterback in Joe Flacco. Um, Steve Smith obviously could have another big year, but he, you know he is getting up there, and uh, who knows what could happen there. But uh, you know, and if he has a big year again, it's just gonna open so much more things open up open up for the rest of these guys, but uh, we also have Max Williams, who I think Baltimore's going to really kind of keep into the mix there, too. So I think Baltimore had a great draft, and they addressed some definitely some troubled areas, and I was very impressed by them bringing in three wide receivers and a tight end when they maybe didn't necessarily need a tight end, but they saw great value there in Max Williams, and obviously Perryman in the first, Waller later on, and picking up Carter after the draft. So I think they definitely see a future to build around Mr. Mr. Flackle here for the next five or six years. So I would probably eliminate Campanero and Brown from this mix unless, you know, unless Brown becomes a starter. I don't think either one of those guys are washable. Kamar Aiken is, is kind of probably in that same boat. So um, Carter, definitely worth a flyer. I, I hope we made sense of this Ravens situation for you. Um, again, this we're in the, thing where there's a lot of bodies in camp so we just don't know who's going to break and uh we're we're trying to give you the insight um uh would i be surprised if deandre carter doesn't make the team no but i i I just think he will i think the team really likes him so uh we'll see but uh moving on nick what would you trade for teddy bridgewater or should i say at teddy b underscore h2o (laughs) that's a great great twitter handle anyway go ahead (laughs) Well, you know I like Teddy Bridgewater. He was my number one rated quarterback coming into last year's NFL draft. But in most situations, I probably wouldn't trade for him right now. You know, if I'm in a win-now mode, I wouldn't trust him as my starter this year. Yes, he was the rookie of the year, but if you look at his touchdown-to-interception ratio, 14 touchdowns in 13 games versus 12 picks, whereas Derek Carr is a much better value. He had 21 touchdowns to the same 12 interceptions. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater in startups is uh, ADP is the first pick in the ninth round, whereas Derek Carr is the 12th pick in the 11th round. So you're getting a lot better value with Carr, in my opinion. And plus the fact that Adrian Peterson's back in Minnesota, I don't think they're going to throw as much this year as they did last year. And last year, Teddy averaged under 225 yards per game. So I just have to wonder if he's going to end up being a Alex Smith 2.0. I know they're completely different styles, but Alex Smith also played under North Turner for a little bit. But I just worry about him being a better real-life quarterback than a fantasy quarterback like Alex Smith. So, you know, what, what sort of situation would I would I trade for him? You know, like say if I had two old, solid quarterbacks, like 
Drew Brees, Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, Eli Manning, Tony Romo, Philip Rivers, Carson Palmer, if I had any two of those guys, I would maybe try to trade the lower guy for Teddy if I wanted a solid long-term backup who's got good upside potentially. You know, the problem is that coming off his rookie of the year season, his owner is likely pretty high on him, so it'll be tough to get a steal. But if his owner is in a win-now type of mode, you might be able to trade an older quarterback. It's more proven to try to get him. Uh, yeah, great point there. He was rookie of the year, but remember that's rookie of the year. It's not fantasy rookie of the year. Um, and uh, you know, I and I don't think you know there's a lot of Vikings fans here at the DFW. I don't think Nick means any disrespect to to Teddy there by calling him Alex Smith. He just thinks he's definitely maybe a better real life quarterback than a fantasy quarterback. And and I tend to agree, especially right now. And uh, like you bring up good points with the with the value of where he's going. I think people are just really excited about him. You know, draft pedigree is certainly comes into play there too with him going in the first and Carr going in the second and being able to get him later. Um, also has Amari Cooper and Mike Wallace is not Amari Cooper there. Or either is Charles Johnson. I'm like, they have a lot of weapons around Teddy. And, and I think you're going to see Teddy get better this year and even better next year. So he's certainly – a player to target if you're rebuilding a team, if you have an older quarterback like Nick said. Even I'd have no problem trading like a Ben Roethlisberger or uh, if I knew somebody that was really into Flacco, I would certainly throw Flacco their way if they're going to give me Bridgewater back on churn if you're rebuilding because I think you're going to see better production every single year from Bridgewater. And I, and I think he's I think he's going to be much more than Alex Smith. You know, it's just my, my opinion against Nick's, but I think it's certainly going to take some time Everybody in Minnesota is really in love with this guy and, and his poise and whatnot. And remember, he did all that last year with basically without Adrian Peterson. So with Adrian Peterson this year, I think he could certainly still see an uptick in production. Obviously, they're going to give AP the ball as much as they need to, but I think that's going to certainly open things up across the board for uh, Mr. Bridgewater. And of course, you know the the, the addition of Michael Pruitt is going to open many things up there for Minnesota, but uh, I just got to flex my guy in there, but uh, I'd have no problem trading all the quarterback. Like Nick said, um, if I'm throwing a pick at somebody, I think I'd give up a first round pick for Teddy Bridgewater. If I think my team is rebuilding and they're a couple years away, I'd certainly give up a first. I would, I'd certainly offer a second first uh, or two seconds before I'd offer first if I had that. But uh, I, I think uh, he's, He's going to be a decent quarterback moving forward. It's just going to take some time there. Any other thoughts there, Mr. Bridgewater? I just want to say I definitely wasn't trying to disrespect him by calling him Alex Smith 2.0. Like you said, <laughs> just, I, I think he's probably going to be, at least for the next year or two, for the foreseeable future, he's going to be a better real-life quarterback than fantasy quarterback, sort of a game manager, which that's what Russell Wilson is, right? And he won a Super Bowl doing it. So there's nothing wrong with being that. just doesn't help your fantasy team as much. Yeah, yeah, most of them. Okay, let's move on to questions from the forum. As a Chargers fan, I'm really big on Melvin Gordon, although it's obviously not a good thing that I'm willing to overpay for him. I offer Carlos High and Allen Robinson for Melvin. Would you consider this a fair trade? Um, I I think that's a fair trade. I, I, I think – Whereas I like Allen Robinson, and I think Carlos Hyde has a has has a decent bright future. I'm totally not sold on I'm not totally sold on either one of those guys. 
I think Jacksonville, if they can keep Gus Bradley there, could be very dangerous two years from this day. Uh, I just I don't see it. Robinson, there's a lot of wide receivers. I don't see him breaking through and being a wide receiver one on anybody's fantasy team this year or next year. Hyde, there's a lot of running backs in camp. That There's a lot of running backs in camp for a reason. Obviously, everybody's got a lot of running backs in camp right now, but you know, they drafted Mike Davis. They have Kendall Hunter. They brought in Reggie Bush. There's backup plans there. I know Hyde has lost a little weight, and some people are super high on him. I am not crazy about him. I, I just I I think it's gonna I think it's gonna take him a year or so to get to get acclimated to be an RB one in anybody's fantasy team. And I think Mike Davis might have a might have a hand in saying something about that too. What are your thoughts, Bernie? Yeah, I think it's fairly even. You know, personally, I would have probably tried to just offer uh, Carlos Hyde straight up for Melvin Gordon first and see if they had accepted that and then uh, countered with an Allen Robinson and Hyde offer. But, yeah, I don't have a problem with that trade at all. Yeah, I mean, it's you certainly could be could be worse. Um, what kind of value do you guys put on these two? If someone wants to acquire one, do you think, Oh, that's the end of that end of that question. <laughs> um, all right, the Marsan Superhero value of Foster and Marsan Bentham. I'm assuming that's Arian Foster. Uh, worth the first round. What kind of value to put on these two guys? If someone wants to acquire one of them, do you think a mid-first round pick this year is about right? Too much or too little? What do you think? Would you trade a mid-first round pick for Marshawn or Arian Foster? Well, I would definitely have to be in win-now mode. If I was rebuilding, then absolutely not. But if I really thought that I had all the pieces in place to win a championship and one of those two guys was going to put me over the hump, yeah, I, I think I'd probably do it. But, you know, you're not counting on either of them for more than one or two more years. Yeah, I mean, if you got, you know, Julio and Andre Brown and, you know, even Flacco at quarterback, and you know, Gronk, let's say, and then you just need, you know, you need a running back, and you want, want you know, to make a run one year. Yeah, certainly do that. But if you're not positive that you're going to be like a top four team in your league, why wouldn't you just take that pick and take Kevin Coleman or T.J. Yeldon? Yes, I said T.J. Yeldon. That can maybe come around. Um, <laughs> or even like a Jay Ajayi or a Amir Abdullah, who could be a starter, you know, in 2016. I just, I, I don't, I don't see doing that. Unless, like you said, total win now mode, top two, top three, top four team in your league last year, and you think you can expound on that and be a be a very deadly team. It's just it's it's so hard to trade that high of a pick for an old running back, especially Foster. I think I don't think I'd even even consider Foster. Somebody's going to give me Marshawn because you know at least he's the sixty percent of that offense, despite what the last play of the Super Bowl told you. Uh, I, I think that's a safe. Safe play there, but yeah, you got to be total win now mode. Um, last question: Trading Gronk. I just took over an orphan team in a 16-team PPR. Uh, one of the biggest trading ships I have to improve my team to get younger is Gronk. I have ASJ, so I can grow into the position. So I feel like I can trade Gronk. Just how much value? How much? What? How much is fair value for Gronk? What can I expect in return for a fair market value? I'm thinking 
1.4 and 3.7, which should be 40th overall in this league, and Moncrief for Gronk. Is that too much or too little? What do you think? Oh, I think that's way too little. You know, you have Austin Ferrian Jenkins, but he's unproven. He hasn't really showed it on the field yet that he's going to be a big-time contributor. So, you know, let's say mid-October, uh, ASJ's having a huge season. Then maybe you maybe look to ship Gronk. But as of right now, I mean, for uh, first, a third, and Moncrief, that's basically three unproven guys. There's no way I would make that trade. Yeah, and even even to your point there, you know, during the season, or I think if you're going to move a guy like this, it seems weird and it seems like you should have other things on your mind. But if you can make a move with Gronk during the draft, when, you know, when that, that player who's giving up that pick can see who's available and maybe you like somebody, if you can really put the pressure on during the draft with somebody when they're on the clock, I think that's certainly the better way to go about it. Um, it is a 16-team league, so getting two picks and a player might, you know, that's that's fairly decent. Uh, you know, you're thinking if you're getting Kevin, you're getting Kevin White and Moncrief, and let's say, you know, who, I'm not I'm not sure who else would be there. Mid three, you can get like a Justin Hardy or uh, you know a Clive Walford who who. Uh, Listen to Dana Jeremiah's podcast the other day. Thinks could be a huge contributor on third down for Oakland, and, a, and obviously a nice piece for that team going forward. You know, he could be around in the third round. Um, you're getting that's maybe the three type of players you're getting back for Gronk. Is is that enough? You know, it's 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 close for me. I think Nick's definitely thinking this too, but I think it's close for me because of because of the the, the size of the league. But uh, it's also one of those things where you have the number one tight end in a 16-team league. There's there's one other guy that has Jimmy Graham, and maybe, you know, maybe the Travis Kelsey owner is pretty excited, and the guy that, the guy that has Greg Olson is really worried because of his age. You know, you have the one of the more valuable fantasy pieces. You have the number one tight end. So, you know, moving back to Nick's point, you got to get – if you're going to trade him, if you really want to improve your team, you got to get a haul back for him because you have – what everybody wants, and if, if they're not willing to overpay, you know, then just hang on to them and and figure out figure out something else. And don't think you're going to trade Gronk this year and rebuild your team in one year. If you're really rebuilding an orphan team, it's going to take two years. You got you got to expect to take two rookie drafts and really do it and get in players that you want. And I, as a as a guy who took over an orphan team this year in DFW 36, I, I can tell you you're not going to do it in one year. You got it's going to take at least two years. So just pump the brakes, hang on to Gronk. What is Gronk? Is he like 27, 28? I mean, he's got if he stays healthy, he's got five, six solid years of production left. So I mean, two years from now, when you when you've got a couple rookie drafts under your belt, you you still have possibly the number one tight end to run along with, you know, who else, who else you've drafted those couple years. So I, yeah, it's, I think, like I said, I think it's close, but I think you got to just realize what you have there in Gronk. You have the number one tight end. It's not Jimmy Graham anymore. It's, it's Gronk. So, um, let's, I, I know Nick, you've been waiting all week for this. Let's make sense of the Buffalo 
quarterback carousel. I feel like I should have called him Vonnie for this one. I don't know why I just thought of that now, but uh, oh, what do you got for us? Tyrod Taylor's been getting a lot of press. EJ Manuel is, you know, basically being sent back to NFL Europe because he's so terrible. And uh, Matt Castle, well, he's a good contributor. He's a solid backup. That's what everybody says about that guy. So what do you got for us, Nick? Well, I'd be super stoked if B.J. Emanuel was going to be starting for my favorite team, the Ryan Fire. But uh, let's get back to Buffalo. Uh, first off, <laughs> if you're counting on one of these guys this year, why did you not draft Marcus Mariota or Jamison Winston? I mean, you should just basically blow up your team now. Trade all your assets for next year's draft picks and start over. But, uh, you know, I would guess Matt Castle is going to start the season simply because he's more experienced and he'll probably make less mistakes than E.J. Manuel, as is evidenced by his career 96 touchdowns to only 70 interceptions. But he's going to be 33 this year. He's just a journeyman. Castle really doesn't provide much dynasty value. And at some point, I think E.J. Manuel will get a chance this year. I don't know if it's going to be after four games or maybe sometime in December after Buffalo's eliminated from the playoff race. Here's a fun fact about E.J. Manuel. He's got a better touchdown-to-interception ratio than Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, they both from 12 uh, interceptions, uh, but Manuel got 16 touchdowns to Bridgewater's 14. So it's not like he's terrible. He's not the worst quarterback ever. Um, but, you know, numbers don't – the stats don't always tell the entire story. He didn't look that great when he got his chance. Um, you mentioned Tyrod Taylor. I think if he were to get a chance – the former Ravens backup would probably have the highest weekly floor just due to his mobility, but the guy is totally unproven. He hasn't played much. He's only had 35 pass attempts in four years in the NFL. Uh, the other guy there, Jeff Toole, is probably going to be the odd man out. Uh, you look at his stats, three interceptions, so only one touchdown, uh, 59 attempts. His completion percentage is only 44. That's that's like Tim Tebow-esque almost. <laughs> Different kind of player, obviously, but... I think he's going to be probably not going to make the final roster. But, again, if you're counting on any of these guys to have an impact for you this year, just write off 20. Try to build a future contender for your dynasty team. <laughs> uh, I didn't write Jeff Tool down because he's currently not listed on their Jeff chart. Matt Sims is. But, uh, uh, you know, I am not going to dis miss all this Tyrod Taylor hype until he's listed as the third quarterback week one. I just, I, I, I still think there is something to that. I think the fact that that was one of Rex's first priorities when he went to, to Buffalo was to bring this guy over. So he obviously knows something and uh, you know, who, who, who wants to be in that guy's head and figure out what's going on there. Um, but in, you know, EJ has been an unfortunate I've said this before, and I'll say it again. There's, he's just been an, an unfortunate part of this organization. How they, how much turnover there has been since you know the, the death of their owner, new coach, you know, and he's 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 like three regimes ago it seems like, and he was only drafted three years ago. It's, I, but I think if they realize that they still have a young guy that's learning the position, I, if I'm if I'm voting, I'm. Unless you know, unless I see something where EJ just is not going to get it done, I just think you got to play the young guy and let him go. That's that's what my that's what my head and my heart say. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Florida State fan. I just feel like if you have a young quarterback and you want him to grow as a quarterback, he needs to be on the field and playing. You got Matt Castle, a guy that's been around some great people throughout his NFL career, to 
to be in his ear on the sidelines after after, the, after your series is done or after the scoring drive or after the interception, he's going to be a great player for that team. I just think you got to play EJ until the wheels come off. I say the same thing with Blake Boros all the time. Just let him play. Matt Castle is not going to bring your team to the playoffs. Let him be the solid backup that he's been his entire career. Let EJ play. Um, that's what my head and heart say. Uh, I don't know what Rex Ryan is going to say. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he played that day by week one. So I, I don't know if I'm making sense of the situation, but I just really wanted to put in my two cents. Um, and uh, this is a situation that if we talked about it next week, it could be different. If we've talked about it a month from now, it could be extremely different. So if you, like you said, like Nick said, if you're trying to figure this out because you want to start one of them, Maybe you should play fantasy hockey. I don't know. It, it, it is cold up there in Buffalo, so maybe maybe you know more about hockey than football. But, uh, yeah, stay away from the situations, fantasy owners, until Tyrod Taylor throws four touchdowns to San Juan, and then, then we can talk again. Um, I think Kyle Orton at times is very serviceable in that, in that for that team last year. But, again, new regime. We don't know how that's going to come through. So let's not talk about this again. I'm just really confused and – and, and opinionated about it, and I don't want to. I don't want to talk about it again. So we hit it now in June, so we're not going to talk about it much. So uh, that's all we have for you. Sorry if it was kind of a fizzle towards the end there with uh, bringing everybody down about the Buffalo Bills quarterbacks. <laughs> but uh, any? Uh, oh, I just want to ask you, how serious do you think Des Bryant is about holding out the first week of the season? I think Jerry will pay him under the table and they'll get some stuff done. I, I, I don't I don't think – I would be very, very surprised if he's not out there week one. Um, but I'm not going to be unhappy if he's not out there as a Terrence Williams owner. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But I, I, think, I think something will get done, whether it's uh, legit or not. We'll put it that way. Um, it'll happen. I think it'll happen. So they, they – they got to realize this is a, you know, even if they don't have a, a fantasy worthy running back, they got to realize this year, maybe next year is all they really have left with Tony Romo. So they got to get it done, especially this year. This is their best, their best prospects, I believe. With that offensive line and some hungry people on that defense, they, I think they got to get it done and, and they'll figure it out. Jerry, Jerry seems to be maturely making moves over these last couple of years, even if people are, Taking the phone out of his hand or the envelope out of his hand at the draft, I I think uh, I think they'll get it done. So, yeah, sorry, sorry as you Redskins fans are hoping, I but I think they'll get it. So that's all we have for you. Uh, like I said, next week, Larry Butler the third, 2016 linebacker prospect, Southern Nazarene University. Uh, complete animal. Check him out on Twitter. Watch some great film on him, and we'll have him on next week to ask him some questions, put him to the test, get him ready for uh, his senior season and hopefully uh, some draft prep next year. So, uh, Take care, Nick, and we'll talk to you next week. All right, sounds good. Clock at five. Pass is intercepted at the goal line. 